You're listening to the Bear Down Chicago Podcast with Logan Bradley, Ryan Dangle, Patrick Sheldon, Brendan Chagru, and Jack Wright. The Bear Down Chicago Podcast. Yeah, we're that Bears podcast. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the Bear Down Chicago Podcast. We are That Bears Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Dangle. I am joined by Jack Wright. You can find him on Twitter at BearDownJack. Logan Bradley, you can find him on Twitter at BearDownBradley. Patrick Sheldon, you can read him on The Windy City, part of the Fan Sided Network, or you can find him at P underscore Shells. And Brendan Shagru, you can read him on The Bears Wire or find him at Brendan Shagru. That's S-U-G-R-U-E. All right, so boys, we are back this week. Uh, we've had a, a slew of amazing guests, and yet again, we have an, another phenomenal guest, uh, a former bear, which just makes it that much cooler. Uh, I got a chance to listen to this interview because Brendan and Jack did the interview earlier in the week, and I will just say it was awesome. It is so cool to get his perspective, especially the early 2000 bears, so going 2004, 2005, 2006, which was a hell of a run. That was Lovey Smith's you know, early start to all this stuff. And I just thought it was awesome. So Jack and Brendan, great job with that guys. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, that was, it was so fun. And I told Jack this, uh, after the fact, but I grew up with those mid two thousands bears. And so for me, like just hearing all the stories that Cam had to, had to say, and just hearing what it was like to start working with Lovey Smith and just his thoughts on like the Super Bowl bears and leaving, like it, all of that was just so fresh for me. And that's what I grew up on. So I think a lot of people who are listening can probably relate, but it, it was so cool. And just to hear his thoughts on the organization as a whole, I think was really refreshing because not to spoil anything, but you hear a lot of, a lot of negativity about the Bears, but to have a former player really go to bat for them, I think, was was really cool to hear. He's such a positive guy. I think you'll enjoy listening to him in that regard. Almost kind of rekindled some some old school Bears, you know, not patriotism, but love, I guess, <laughs> or fire for it, you know, because he he he's a company guy, but not a robot. He just really truly loved his time there, loved his teammates, really truly thought that Lovey Smith turned that entire team and organization around in some good ways. And when you think back to it, he, he did. They went to a Super Bowl. The only other thing I would say is I, I've never I've really through this process, I've noticed like because I I'm older. So there is a generation thing here. And what Brendan was talking about, I think you, Ryan, and specifically you, Brendan, I don't know about you, Logan and Shells, the, that's your sweet spot for Bears fandom. And mine has been 85 and, and the 85 Super Bowl. And so while I have recollections of it, it's not my sweet spot, but I really recognize and appreciate more so how it is your guys and girls in that generation. That That's the teams you loved. Very well said. 
Well, that brought me to a line of questioning that I want to get to after we get through a few other things, because we've got Bears news, which is awesome. We have had a lot, a lot of interaction, a lot of positivity coming our way from our listeners, and we cannot thank you enough. We have had a little bit of criticism saying you guys have been talking a lot more about food than bears lately. And you know what? It's true. It's the off season and we're hungry. So that's what's going to happen. But this one is going to be a bears packed episode. Are you thinking about buying or selling a home in the Chicagoland area? If you are, there's one person and only one person that you should be reaching out to. It's Jeff Cadwallader with At Properties. Jeff is making it happen for his buyers. He's using proven tactics to help his buyers get the contracts. It's not about paying the highest price either. If you want to learn more, give him a call or a text message at 630-254-4734, or you can visit GenevaJeff.com to learn how Jeff Cadwallader with App Properties can help you. If you do talk to Jeff, please let him know that the guys from the Bear Down Chicago podcast said hello. Hey guys, you know, sometimes you leave a barbershop and the haircut's just so terrible, you immediately want to put on a hideous looking orange helmet to distract everybody from the haircut. Uh, well, that's not Sheridan's Barbershop. I'll tell you that much. Uh, you get a fantastic cut when you leave there. If you could see the guys on this pod that get their hair cut at Sheridan's, it is always fresh. Sheridan's Barbershop, located in historic downtown Wheaton, Illinois, has been serving the community for 68 years with six barbers and open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. They've got appointments available to book either online or by phone at your convenience. So you can visit Sheridan'sBarbershop.com or call 630-668-0137 and book your appointment today. Sheridan's Barbershop, where traditional meets modern. So gentlemen, camp has started. There's a lot of things to talk about, but you know, Sheldon, I think I know you are the one that wants to break this news. The thing and, and the way that you were about to describe it to us before we all hushed you before we started hitting record. Tell us a little bit about uh, your frustration today as we record. Yeah, you know, it's just I was having a great Sunday, uh, had a nice day with the family, had some some family um, in-laws up and it was just everything was going great, just relaxing and chilling. And the bears have to go F it up and just like out of nowhere, tweet out, hey, guess what? We're going to not only wear these hideous looking orange jerseys, but we're going to pile on top of it with a hideous looking orange helmet and just go full fluorescent highlighter uh, on October 13th. And um, no, I don't like, are people really clamoring for this or do people really want the orange on orange? There are so many different combinations they could do. This is not what I wanted to see. This just ruined my Sunday. Um, go back to the white on whites. Those are so classic. They can do an orange helmet with those. I think would look good. They could do the old school blue helmet with the white C. They could do the traditional helmet uh, or, or the helmet that they have now. Any of those options would have been infinitely better than orange on orange. It's just, it's gross. It's just absolutely gross, guys. All right. So let's go around the horn. Let's see how everyone feels. And we know how Sheldon feels about it. Uh, so from here, let's go Jack, Brendan, Logan, and I will finish it up. How do we feel about these new orange helmets? Since I wasn't immediately like, oh, that's, that's sick. Those look great. Like I did with the Cincinnati Bengals, for instance. Mm -hmm smooth like really great look for the for the bungles but i think i'm I, since i wasn't immediately like those look great i think i'm like nah i don't know is it the whole orange thing with like the u of i and the chicago bears when i was in pittsburgh i thought oh all three of the professional teams 
have the same color scheme and that's kind of cool so so maybe we're, we're weird right because we don't have a chicago college team that is like prominent um you know aside from northwestern and then it's downstate at u of i so yeah i don't i don't i don't love them and i just i do feel like it's another example of of every all the cool kids being cool and the bear is like hey guys here's our orange uniforms <laughs> <laughs> let's go play some football <laughs> Cool. Go pick the lint out of your belly button. <laughs> you sound like you sound like George McCaskey there. Like, well, we have new uniforms that we are going to unveil, and we're really excited to bring the orange down to the lakefront. <laughs> well done. That was spot on, dude. Well done. So I I think when I first saw it, and I think this is how other people saw it too. The Bears just released their orange helmets by by themselves. And I was like, those look cool. I, I'm totally good with that. They're probably going to wear them with the navy or probably the white. And I'm like, I really love this. I was hoping the Bears would do something different. Uh, I could go either way with white or orange. And then I saw them, that they were actually going to pile on the orange with the jerseys. And I'm like, all right, you had a good idea and you just took it a step too far, unfortunately. And I, I think it could be fun. I'm not as like... I love the helmets. I don't like love the combination. And I actually kind of like the orange jerseys too. I think we talked about this before. Mm. I don't hate them, but when you put two, like both of those together, I'm like, you just look like the construction cones on the Jane Byrne interchange. That's been going on for about 10 years now. Uh, fun fact, the Jane Byrne interchange has been under construction um, for about 10 years, which is also the same amount of time that the bears have not won a playoff game. So that's kind of fun. Thanks Brendan. Yeah, no problem. Upbeat. (laughs) Yeah. So if they just kept the orange helmet with one of the jerseys, either the Navy or white, this would be awesome. They just went too far. I think they got a little too color rush happy, but it is a Thursday night game. And I kind of, in a weird, sick way, I kind of appreciate that the bears brought back the color rush uniforms. I think that's just hilarious. And uh, one last note, um, the Cleveland Browns tried to cle- the Cleveland Browns, excuse me, tried to come back at the bears and say, Hey, where'd you get those orange helmet ideas from guys? It's an orange helmet. Don't act like you invented the color orange. <laughs> we don't not, we do not need the Cleveland Browns trying to talk smack to us right now. Like stay in your lane guys. All right. You got much bigger problems, about $230 million worth of bigger problems to deal with. Yeah, they're alternate. Uh, their their secondary colors doo doo brown. So let's <laughs> turn it down a notch there, Cleveland. Yeah, orange and brown. Ugh. Yeah, aren't these all? Are these all orange uniforms being worn against the Washington Commanders? Is that what it is? And the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, and the Cowboys. Okay, I didn't know that. But like for the Commanders game, that game is going to be so ugly as it is. So that's going to be perfect for that. But as far as my view on it, like I have such a unique relationship with the color orange just because high school was orange. I went to the University of Illinois, all orange. And um, when I was on the gymnastics team there, we had this you would have like Navy top uniforms. We had an orange one. And then for pants, we had like Navy and orange. And every meet, like the day of a meet, the like captains would get together and decide what combination of uniforms we're going to wear. And we always had these couple guys on the team who wanted us just to wear the all orange, like orange pants, orange top. And it's like, 
guys, we're already men's gymnasts. We can't be going out onto a competition floor wearing unitards that are all orange to go along with orange pants. Now, it's a much different story when you're talking about football players. Sure. But just it's too much orange. And that's coming from somebody who, who really loves the color orange. So what, it, what has been said is, is all correct so far. It's just extremely bears and uh, a little bit too much orange. Orange is an accent color, and it's a really good accent color against something like navy. But I don't like the creamsicle jerseys. I, I, it's the worst. I want them to bring back the, the 40s jerseys that they had a while back or the, the 1930s jerseys, the white ones the, with the super ugly striped socks. But everything else about those uniforms are just really, really good. This was just ugh. So I got to give two quick like mini shout outs to Jonathan Ahand, big friend of the pod, you know, and he said something and Brendan, you also said this, it's something new. And I do want to give credit to the bears organization for that. Thank you for branching out and trying something, but you've got this really, really cool logo. That isn't just a C why not use it? The bear head is so freaking cool. Put it on a helmet. Like, why don't we use it more? I don't understand that. Adam Cumbie, you know, from the Irish Bear Show, basically said what Logan said, uh, which is that it's the University of Illinois. And I totally agree with him, which, you know, hey, man, I don't I don't love the University of Illinois. I'm an NIU guy. And when Jack said Northwestern and U of I and not NIU, <laughs> my heart broke a little bit considering, you know, the last time we played Northwestern, we, we smacked them around a little bit. So, you know, just, just going to kind of put that out there. Uh, but I will say this, this is my last little bit is that NIU um, a few years back decided we're going to put out all sorts of different kinds of uniforms. And they have a white uniform with white pants and a white helmet. And at first, when I saw it before the players were wearing, I thought, oh, that's going to be too much. It is so sharp. It is so clean. It makes all those numbers pop. It looks fantastic, especially on a football field. I would have loved for the Bears to do something like that. I hate this. And sorry, I said it was going to be the last thing, but I was wrong. Uh, Instagram uh, tends to agree with me. We put out a poll in our story and 67% of our listeners say uh, that these are puke, while only 33% say that they are fire. You nailed it with the bear's head. That's the one thing I forgot to mention that I would... You can't see it, but it's huge and right behind me in my home studio. And I, I think that's a big missed opportunity to use the ferocious looking bear's hat. It is a it's a it's a cool looking logo that needs to be incorporated. That was a big missed opportunity in my opinion. By the way, Ryan, black uniforms for NIU over white uniforms any day of the week. I like the black uniforms. I'm just saying it's like an alternate. I, I don't know. They they yeah. have all black, they have all red. Meh. But yeah. I just yeah I think I like the all whites. Sorry. I'll stop the white on whites are, are unbelievable with the giants just announced they're bringing back their old screen. Those look awesome. Yeah. They look awesome. Like the white on whites with the blue helmets. I mean, we have something similar. We could do white on whites with the blue helmets. It looks so sharp and so clean. Uh, we really got to bring those back at least for a game. I don't know what their hesitancy is to bring those back. They just refuse to do it. Despite me tweeting at them a lot. <laughs> How about Brian Erlacher responding mm -hmm. that those were his favorites and that the blue pants are apparently very uncomfortable. I didn't know that. I thought that was really interesting. You know, and the Bears do have a really poor record in the Navy on Navy uniforms. So I hope to never, ever see those again. I loved those. I know I'm, I'm the odd man out and I'm okay with saying it. I really liked those way more than the orange. 
I think all of these uniform combos are so boring. I just don't care about any of them. To be honest with you. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I don't care about any, I just don't think the bear, like I understand the history behind the bears uniforms and that's very cool. And I respect that. I just, I've always just, I just don't care about the bears uniforms. They're so boring to me. You know, I, I will say Logan, if October 13th comes and the bears just wallop the commanders like 40 to 10, mm-hmm. the last thing we are going to be talking about is the uniforms unless it's hey the bears looked awesome in their orange uniforms just destroying the commanders no matter how they look as long as there's a win that's that's all anybody's going to care about yeah then the uniforms are cool all of a sudden have you met bears fans they are the one of the most (laughs) irrational group of people on the planet we have to wear all orange uniforms with orange pants now for the rest of the time that the bears. (laughs) oh that would happen you know it's true that's yeah that would definitely happen All right. Well, Logan, I'm hoping that you and the rest of the crew will find this a little bit more exciting. The Bears brought in Michael Schofield, the offensive lineman from the Chargers with, uh, I think Field Yates was the one that reported it. 86 starts from the Chargers um, on the offensive line. That's a fantastic thing. They brought him in for a tryout. What are you kind of thinking about that? And then we'll go around the horn. So let's hear from Logan. Then we'll hear from anybody else that wants to hop in on this. Like, I don't think any of us are going to sit here and claim to be able to just break down offensive line play. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I've seen a ton of Schofield over the years, but I, he's a guy who I remember being on the chargers. I remember, you know, seeing him starting. And at this point, the bar is pretty low in terms of what we're looking to sort of bring in or be able to add to this offensive line. So if you have a guy who has a proven track record of being able to start for a decent NFL offense, a guy who I don't have the exact stat on me, but I know that he, he only gave up like three sacks or or something over a, a pretty incredible number of starts. So a guy who's obviously competent coming into an offensive line where there are question marks galore. I don't think you're going to find too many people who are against the idea of bringing him in. Yeah, actually, Logan, you mentioned it. So I'll uh, give credit to our guy, Jacob Infante, who we've had on the podcast before. He tweeted out that last year he finished with a 66.8 PFF grade and he allowed only two sacks while playing guard for the Chargers. And on top of that, in the last four seasons, he's had zero holding penalties. He's only had a few penalties in the Sign last few up. years anyway. I mean, that's that's huge. Uh, especially with, like holding is such a detriment for offensive linemen at times. It can just ruin drives for you. Uh, this bears offensive line needs help. I, I mean, it's very clear Dakota Dozier was placed on IR with the torn ACL, which we all saw coming after he left minicamp. There's clearly a hole there. Bring him in. Why not? He's a, he's a good veteran. And I, I think looks like he's a smart and uh, disciplined veteran as well. Yeah, Logan, I completely agree. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I can break down offensive linemen and I couldn't tell you I've seen more than a snap or two of Michael Schofield. But what I do think this says about the Bears is that uh, Ryan Pauls is going to do what he said he was going to do months ago, which is, look, he'll leave no stone unturned to try to improve this team, whether it's free agency, whether it's executing a trade, whether it's camp cuts. Uh, he's always going to be scouring the league to improve the state of this team. And doesn't sound like he's satisfied with the current state of the offensive line. So I know a lot of fans out there get nervous and antsy and retweeting all the stuff about how the, the Bears have the worst offensive line in the preseason, you know, uh, rankings wise. <clears throat> Look, 
maybe he's not satisfied with it either. And maybe just maybe like we've been saying on this pod for a while, there are still opportunities for him to go out there and improve the offensive line. And this could be one of them. So um, that's why I think some of us have preached patience to say, like, let's just wait until we see what the starting offensive line is week one before we get, you know, catatonic and, and want to you know, go into under a rock and hide all off season. Um, just, just breathe. Let's get to week one. Let's see what the offensive line is. Cause I do think polls is going to try to strengthen this offensive line. Um, and uh, so just have some patience. This Orland park, Illinois, uh, he's 31 years old. He's, Spent time at right guard, left tackle, right tackle. If he pushes him, Mustafer out of the lineup, that's a plus. So I think it, it'd be a great move. So much of my negativity this offseason has been built around the lack of building this offensive line. Bringing in a guy like this makes me just play more of that. I think, Sheldon, exactly what you're asking for, which is the the patience. Because I think up to this point, and as we're recording this, this is July 24th, I think they should have brought in a guy a lot sooner than this. And I've been critical of that. But if you bring in a guy that can play and maybe he doesn't want to sit, sit through all of camp, then okay. Then, then I, I think I will change my mind quite a bit. Gentlemen, let's do this uh, really quick as a true false. Instead of getting into a slew of questions, we're just going to ask one. True or false, Jaquan Brisker not signing his contract and being a holdout at the beginning of camp is detrimental to his season. We're going to go Jack, Sheldon, Brendan, Logan, and I will finish it up. I often screw these up, but I think I want to say false. And I mean that it will not be detrimental. I also, with the amount of wear and tear that goes on these guys and the amount of risk that they're putting themselves in bodily, more and more, I guess I understand why they might hold out and ask for more money. And, um, you know, uh, in the spectrum of how people get paid and what they deserve, and all of society, that's a different conversation. But as long as pro football players are going to get million-dollar contracts and as long as he performs and holds out and gets some camp reps in, I'm not concerned about it. I agree, Jack, and, I, and I'll go false. Um, and again, I think I'm answering this right too, but I don't think it's going to hurt his season. Uh, it's not like there isn't precedence for this, especially the Bears. Roquan Smith did this. Uh, you know, the question that remains is – how will the coaching staff view this? You know, they're, they're very, everybody pulling on the same side of the rope kind of guys. And um, you know, that, that would be the only potential concern I would worry about if I were brisker, but I don't think that that's going to be a huge deal. Uh, And this could all be resolved here in the next few days, few weeks. I mean, there are some folks out there who I won't name because I won't give them the, the, uh, the benefit of, of naming them on the pod, but they maybe uh, sensationalized a tweet from Dan Weederer and uh, made it sound as if he was going to be out like the whole season, for God's sakes. And uh, you read Weederer's actual tweet and it was more like, you know, hey, things are kind of just progressing and things are, you know, who knows? We'll wait and see. But uh, I don't think there's any reason to panic yet. I'll say false as well with just the caveat that, yeah, like you said, Shells, like as long as this does get resolved in the next couple of weeks, which it does sound like it will. Weeder's story basically mentioned that it could go into early August. And at first you think, Oh my God, that's so long. And really that's a week. (laughs) So if he misses a week of camp, it's not detrimental. It's a little unfortunate because you want all your guys there and you want to make sure they're completely up to speed. And I'm also hoping 
that kind of playing the media game here, the fact that Weider got all of this detail, basically saying it's about the third year in the fourth year of the deal. And from what uh, Jonathan Wood uh, basically said was it's, it's around a hundred thousand dollars of guaranteed money. So in the grand scheme of things, it's chump change. And it sounds like one side is trying to get the other to sort of break first, like, Hey, this is what we're fighting over. Like, let's get this done. Let's get him a camp. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's going to resolve itself in the next week. You want him there, but it's definitely not going to be detrimental for the full season. Definitely false. And, you know, everything that everybody has said is, is very true. I think the one thing that I would reference is I remember a couple of weeks ago reading a story that uh, Kevin Fishbane did in the athletic on Brisker and they went into detail on his journey from being Juco to going to Penn state and now to the bears. And it just kind of outlined his work ethic, you know, what he's all about. So it's just, you can tell that he has the correct mental makeup to not have any of this affect him, uh, given that it doesn't go much further than we all expect it to. So definitely false. I'm going to say false as well. I I think you guys basically already covered it. And I just going to say you are really smart dudes and we're going to move on from there. Now, gentlemen, uh, we normally have our interview at the beginning of the episode, but we're pushing it back to the end. And I wanted to ask this question basically as a warm up to the interview. Uh, Again, I want to say this one more time. Please make sure you listen to it. Cam was so good. Back-to-back cams uh, in in back-to-back weeks. Let's go. Cameron Worrell was so good. Your interview was awesome. You asked excellent questions, guys. I really, really enjoyed listening. I'm really kind of bummed that I I missed it. And so what I really want to do here is I want to ask, think about your Lovey Smith era of football, 2004 to 2012. Right in that time, uh, Lovey brought us to the playoffs. Uh, number one goal we're gonna have is to beat Green Bay. Right, all of those things. There were a lot of things that that Lovey Smith brought to the table. So it can be uh, anything. It can be a press conference. It can be a player that Lovey had on his team. It can be a particular moment in a game. A favorite memory from the Lovey Smith era. So we're gonna go for this one. We're gonna go Logan. Then we're gonna go Sheldon. Jack Wright, and we're going to finish with Brendan because Brendan has an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bears, and that way his doesn't get taken, uh, and I will finish it up after that. Hell yeah, I just got the softball. I appreciate that, Dangle. Um, I mean, you, it's, it's yeah, I appreciate you. Um, it's it's the, the easiest game of all time, the coolest game that I would think, I mean, that I've definitely ever watched as a Bears fan. It was the Bears-Cardinals game in 2006, in the most Bears fashion possible, the Bears are down 20 to nothing at halftime. And at the end of the game, Rex Grossman finished with four interceptions. He lost two fumbles. But in the second half, all of the craziness that ensued, I was, what, like 13 years old. So I, I do remember it, but like the specifics of it and just and just running around my house during uh during the the Hester Pond return touchdown and just something else that I thought was super interesting that just even speaks more to what the defense did in that game. They held Edger and James to 55 yards on 36 carries or for a 1.5 yards per carry clip, which is just incredible considering how good Edger and James was. So that's a game that forever and ever, I will not forget. No bears fan will forever forget. And uh, it's just a, a fantastic memory. 
So for me, I'm going to go with uh, the divisional playoff game in 2006 uh, for a couple reasons, but mainly so some of y'all know I grew up in upstate New York and uh, it was always difficult for me to watch Bears games. And so uh, they were really bad for a lot of my childhood. I know it's going to come as a surprise to everybody, uh, but it, it was tough to like the 2006 game, I guess, is the one that sort of rekindled my passion for the Bears. There was a time there where it was kind of just I was I was more of a passive fan. I wasn't really um, as hardcore as I've been recently. And, uh, you know, when they had it was 2000, 2001, 2005, where there were two previous playoff appearances. And I just remember kind of thinking, like, they're just going to get pasted. I didn't really have any confidence or faith going into those playoff games that anything was going to happen. But 2006, I don't know, just felt different and probably because the defense was just so outstanding. Uh, but that game, watching them beat the Seahawks and that thriller in overtime uh, was such a cool moment. And uh, we all know what that led to. But uh, that was the start of the rekindling for me. And, uh, you know, I don't want to shed a tear, guys, but let me straight to you. <laughs> <laughs> Pull it together, man. Sorry. That's the last time. <laughs> But can I thank Brendan for his outstanding work and getting uh, the guest? Oh, sorry. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for getting the guest. I'm just going to quote Bender from Futurama and be like, shut up, baby. I know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. (laughs) All right. Let me paint a picture. Sunday, October 23rd, 2011, London, Wembley Stadium, Bears, Bucks. 8.53, left on the clock in the first quarter. Ball is at the 32-yard line. Score is 0-0. Bears run kitchen sink right. Pull the left guard and the right guard. Two tight ends set. They seal the outside. Forte gets the pitch. Patient. Lets the blocks develop. Right before he gets to the sideline, he hard cuts. And he was more of a, I think, a straight-line runner. But in this instance... He planted his outside foot and cut into the center of the field, and two Bucks defenders just straight up took each other out. There's credit <laughs> to whoever the defensive lineman was who was pursuing down the field 10, 12 yards, but he just smashed a defensive back. When when Forte planted his foot and cut back to the middle, uh, <laughs> this defensive lineman, he was like 98, huge dude, just smoked this defensive back. Um blocking on the play Roy Williams out there holding the block for like a six count and then there was several other blocks down the field on the play that were amazing Bears go on uh, to win that game 24 to 18 which put them at four and three on the season I think they finished eight and eight that year Forte had 145 yards and a touchdown and I think I forgot how good Forte was and he's got he had breakaway speed dude had breakaway speed and great hands Ryan, do you want to know uh, what Jay Cutler's line was that game? Just, just curious. Just as a side note. No, I don't care. No interest, Logan. Careful, don't speak while ill of Jay Cutler. Okay. Are you I'd, sure? I'd I mean, like. I to love know. the guy, but would you like to know? Just I'm curious. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious. So uh, he was uh, Cutler was 17 for 32 for 226 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions for a 60.2 rating that game luckily for the bears they were going up against josh freeman 
who threw two touchdowns and four interceptions and had a 51.4 quarterback rating. Ah. There's a lot of guys in that where you just, you know, remember those guys. Roy Williams, Josh Freeman. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. That was cool. And the fact that was at London was kind of cool. I don't love the London games, but they, Forte put on a show for him that day. Is that the most iconic Matt Forte highlight? It might be. I'll tell you, as I was just researching around, he ran a great screen game. There were oh God, several oh. instances. I would say three or four instances where they just put together some great screens, and, and he made lots of hay out of those screens. His first game against the Indianapolis Colts in his rookie season, he busted out for 40, 60-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, but it was – I just remember going, who's this kid again from Tulane? Yeah. Let's, let's go. Guys, this is really tough. Like I have like 10 moments and games that I really want to pick from and I'll stay away from the 2006 season. Cause I just could just pick most of that as one of just my favorite times in bears history. And I'll go with the season before in 2005 <laughs> bears Packers Christmas day in Lambeau field to win the division. The bears just pasted the Packers and made Brett Favre's life a living nightmare. It was the second game of the season against the Packers and they swept them in that they won 24 to 17. Brett Favre. You want to hear get this line guys? Yes. 30 for 51, 317 yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. And he still somehow had a quarterback rating of 44.3. That's a little high if, (laughs) if I'm being honest, but that was, uh, that was the game where I mentioned during our trivia game where Lance Briggs picked him off, danced to dance to the end zone. Rex Grossman had come back from his injury. He was throwing bombs to Bernard Barry and Thomas Jones was running all over the Packers defense. Like the fact that it was that close 24, 17, I mean, shows how, I mean, I guess how much the Packers needed to win that game, but that was just, I remember watching that game and thinking, oh my God, the bears actually won the division. We slayed the dragon of green Bay. And this was it. Like we have finally arrived. I know the season itself was a success, but like that was the pinnacle. And I I was just flying so high when I was, I don't know, 13 years old or something like that. But it was, it, it was awesome. And I, I, I love the Lovey Smith era because that, those were his teams. You know, uh, we like to clown on it sometimes, but hard defense, never quit, comebacks all the time. Yeah, you got to love it. All right, so Brennan, I was so excited when this one came up in the interview with Cameron Worrell. Uh, it was awesome. December 18th, 2005, and Kyle Orton, who, you know, didn't get enough respect when he was here, but he was... <laughs> two for 10 for 12 yards uh, and a half of football. And when Rex Grossman came in, I got chills. It was unbelievable. I've only heard soldier field go that crazy twice after the fact when Mitch Trubisky came in for the very first time. And when Justin Fields came in for the first time, it just, it was electric and in true Rex Grossman form, the very first pass was a lightning strike to Mushin Muhammad, put the ball between his legs in that famous dance that he had, showed a first down. It was incredible. And then, gentlemen, I couldn't make this up if I tried. Very next place, fumbles the ball, 
able to recover. Uh, but I, you know, we all kind of like, eh, it's okay. It's okay, Rex. It's, it's nothing, <laughs> but just the hope that we all felt. And here's a quarterback that can actually throw the ball more than 10 yards. Uh, it was a truly special moment. Guys, if there's any doubt that we're one of the most downtrodden fan bases in the world, you just said there was a point where we got chills when Rex Grossman. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, though. It's true. Yeah. Did you get thrown in football jail for saying words? that, dude? That was the Michael Vick didn't want to yeah. play anymore yeah. game. Yeah, just we just watched after he got hit by Brian Urlacher. It was just like he just he's like I'm done now. Like this game is over and his stat line was, was atrocious, uh, but it was, it was great. With that folks, we want to go ahead and give you the Cameron Worrell interview with Jack and Brendan. All right. We have a very, very special guest with us today. He is a former Chicago Bears safety and a member of the NFC conference champion bears in 2006 i really want to say super bowl champions god it hurts so bad but he is cameron warrell cam welcome to the show man how you doing yeah we all want to say super bowl champions man everybody who played on that we still talk about it it will never die within us so it almost warms my heart to hear somebody reference us as that because we feel the same way man so close but yeah, great to be on, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're, we're obviously going to talk uh, a bit about your playing career, the Super Bowl Bears. Uh, but real quickly, uh, what are you doing nowadays? Man, um, you know, I kind of got banged up at the end of my career. I think I had a couple of years left. Left Chicago, went to Miami as a free agent. Started, you know, eight or nine games, tore my ACL, ended up with the Jets, had a second shoulder surgery, and then uh, ended up one game in 08 back in Chicago, which we lost to the Texans. Unfortunately, I would have made the playoffs. Um, but I was like nine weeks out of shoulder. So I was, I should not have played that game. Oh, but, man. but uh, uh, you know, so my career kind of ended like most players before I was really ready. Didn't really have a plan kind of jumped on with the training facility here in Fresno that I still kind of um, am uh, have an interest in. Went back to school, finished my degree. I actually just in May finished my MBA at Fresno State, which was, you know, a goal uh, that I had for a long time and finally was able to accomplish that. Um, I'm, I'm doing some sales stuff. I'm doing a lot of uh, broadcast work. I'm doing some high school TV games here in the Fresno area and uh, radio for Fresno State football with my old coach, Pat Hill. Uh, and Paul Leffler. So Fresno was home. We bought a house here during my Chicago career. You know, we, it was a good place to raise kids. Our families are here. So came back here and kind of put roots down and I've kind of jumped around a little bit. I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up, but uh, <laughs> I've done a good job of, of finding, you know, areas that, that are, um, you know, allow me to pay the bills, but also rewarding and, and, you know, uh, fill some gaps uh, and, and uh, you know, continue to move on to whatever I eventually end up doing. I think that's awesome though, because you've been able to kind of, you've transitioned a bit out of your football career and doing some of the sales stuff, but you've still been able to like actually do something with, for the love of the game, doing radio broadcasts and some broadcast career. And uh, you're also the co-founder of the passing down, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We started 
passing down when I was still an active player. It was, we started it as a skills camp because we wanted to pass down super creative, right? Pass down the knowledge (laughs) that we, you know, gathered throughout our college and NFL careers. And I would invite a bunch of former Fresno state and NFL teammates to come out to Fresno and just kind of help kids develop. And we hosted a seven on seven tournament one Friday night before a weekend tournament. And the seven on seven tournament was by far the funnest thing that we did all weekend. So we kind of pivoted and turned it into a, a seven on seven, um, you know, tournament that started just in Northern California, Central California, expanded to Southern California, now Oregon and Arizona. So it's been cool because our whole goal was starting passing down, you know, Central California is a little bit overlooked. It's not LA, it's not San Francisco, it's not Sacramento, but there's a lot of talent here and it gets overlooked. So we wanted to shine a light on that talent, Jalen Johnson, perfect example, although he was not overlooked by any means. You know, there are a lot of players that I feel like are just a little bit under-respected. So we wanted to get them out to compete against the other best kids on the West Coast. And, you know, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of kids, you know, get college scholarship offers off of their performance at passing down, move on, continue a career, first-round NFL draft picks. It's been pretty cool to see. You see these kids and some of them – Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, like when you, Jared Goff, when you see him, they're just different. And you're like, yeah, that dude is, a, he's for real. And then you see him go on and play in college and the NFL. It's, it's very rewarding to know that, you know, you're a small part of, of helping their journey in, in whatever way we help them. That's, that's so cool. And I think it's, it's gotta be awesome for you guys to just see that, like, as you said, be a small part in their growth and be like, yeah, you know, I remember coaching that guy or, you know, he's part of our program. So um, it's, it's cool to see that you guys are expanding too. So hopefully that goes, continues to go well. Um, so I want to take it back to the beginning of your career. You of course were an undrafted free agent that was signed by the bears in 03 as we're getting into training camp season, what was that experience like for you, especially your first year, knowing how hard you had to work to earn a roster spot and impress the coaches? Yeah, man, I was just a mini camp tryout guy, you know, not even an undrafted free agent. So I went out a week after the draft and they're like, yep, we got a plane ticket for you and we'll pick you up from the airport. And if you get hurt, it's on you, <laughs> you know, come out here for three days and show us what you can do. I mean, I felt like, I felt like I belonged and I went out there like whatever I do, I'm going to do it a hundred miles an hour and I'm not going to, you know, not allow myself an opportunity because they didn't see everything that I could do. And after third day, Sunday morning, uh, Jerry Angelo called me up to his office. Hey, we want to sign you to a three-year deal, which really just meant I was going to come back for the off season and get invited to training, training camp, nothing guaranteed at all. So I knew I mean, I was like the sixth safety out of six or seventh safety out of seven, maybe. And Chicago had kept four safeties for a lot of years. I knew that the odds were very long, but I knew I also had an opportunity to put tape, you know, together that 31 other teams would see and maybe impress some people. And man, just honestly, me and Todd Johnson still joke about this. And Todd Johnson in the very first preseason game in 2003 played two quarters, was on a punt at like the last snap that he played and got blindsided and broke his jaw. So 
you know, he was a fourth round pick that year, I think. And, uh, you know, he was firmly entrenched as a backup free safety. He was down for like four weeks. That really gave me the opportunity to, to prove that I could play. Uh, I think I made the team because of my special teams work. That's really how I carved out a career. You know, that's mainly what my role was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, no expectations, just I have an opportunity and I'm not going to look back on this opportunity and regret not putting everything I have into it. If I'm not good enough, like I can just accept that, right? I'm not good enough, can't hang, like that's fine, but it's not going to be because of things I can control. And that was kind of my mindset. And like I said, luckily Todd broke his jaw every year we were in Chicago after that. One of us was supposed to get cut, he or I, and we, I mean, we're still very, very good friends to this day. It's not too far off of what Gary Fensick experienced. We, we had the great fortune of interviewing him a couple months back. And similarly, I think he was asked to come to camp and then showed up and then was signed. Was he at all a uh, an inspiration for you, Cam, or no? Yeah, I mean, just the way he played, I didn't even really know that that was his his path. Yeah, I mean, I loved watching Gary Fensick growing up. I mean, I was a huge Walter Payton Chicago Bears fan in the 80s and Gary Fensick was you know everything I mean Mike Singletary obviously everybody that played on that Bears defense but you know Gary Fensick was different so no I had no idea that that was his path that's pretty cool man because he was you know he was the man for a long time he was him and um was it Plank yeah he talked a lot about Plank those two guys man they just brought the hammer there's a lot of similarities between Matt Eberflus and, and Lovey Smith cam for you. What was it like going through the transition from Dick Geron to Lovey Smith? And what do you think the players this year can expect during that beginning transition period from coach to coach? Yeah. You know, I really liked Dick Geron. I thought he was a fantastic coach, you know, didn't work out in Chicago. He had other opportunities, but, you know, understood the game at a very deep level, former you know, professional player, former bear. Um, so just, you know, just understood how things operated and, and Lovey came in and, uh, you know, we weren't really sure at first what Lovey was all about because he really worked us hard, you know, his, his system. And I know you guys understand it, you know, it's very detailed. Uh, there are very hard rules defensively in that cover two system and, coming from, you know, kind of that Dick Geron, 3-4, a little more free-flowing. You have a little bit more freedom to do things. It was not like that with Lovey. So that first offseason, nobody really knew what to expect. It was tough. He worked us hard, 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 very hard training camp. Um, but I think as, you know, we started to have success, and really it was 2005, we weren't that – great or sorry 2004 we weren't a great football team I don't remember what we ended up maybe six and ten or five and eleven um but defensively like we got it going and we just built on that 2005 with the you know NSC North Championship um and then you know kind of culminating with that Super Bowl run but it was it was tough lovey lovey has one way of operating and if you don't meet that expectation, like you're not going to be around. And that was a little bit tough for everybody to embrace at first because 
you know, we just really didn't know him. We didn't know what he was all about. Somebody coming in and totally changing the way that we were used to things operating. It was difficult, but it didn't take very long. Once we kind of understood, okay, this is the expectation. If we go out and we live up to that expectation, we meet that standard. Like Lovey was a cool coach to play for. You know, once we were all kind of ingrained in the system, we knew how to do it. Like practices were easy. We get a lot of victory Mondays because we understood it. You know, we, we understood the standard and we lived up to that standard. So he was really, you know, a fun coach to play for. I wish we could have won that Super Bowl for him, man. I really do. We had a couple of plays in that game that's completely different. I don't want to rehash history, but, you know, we had a great game plan. We executed it almost to, you know, perfection defensively, just that one busted coverage and I think one regular touchdown. Otherwise, let them drive the ball, throw it around, and we're going to make you kick field goals and for the most part, we did that. And I mean, Lovey's back. It's crazy. He's kind of come full circle down in, in Houston and getting another chance to, to run an organization. He's, uh, you know, as high quality of an, an, of an individual as you'll meet in the NFL. Did you know in 2004, because you're right, that season, that was really, really tough. You guys played competitive. You had a really good defense. It just, it's Bears football. The offense just couldn't uh, figure themselves out. They couldn't stay healthy. But, you know, could you kind of see like the the framework being built in 2004 that you knew that something special could happen? Like, was that kind of like, did did that buy-in start then? Or was it really in, not until 2005 when you guys started winning? I mean, I think as a defensive unit, yeah, we we felt like we belonged with the best units in, in the NFL. Uh, we also knew that, you know, Rex had to be healthy and he had to be the guy for us to, to be a real contender. We all believed in Rex. We all knew his skill set, you know, saw what was capable of him. He just had to stay healthy and he had not really, you know, didn't really play 03, didn't stay healthy in 2004 or 2005, really. Uh, and then we kind of saw what he did in 06. Um, we knew he was a big piece of what we were trying to do. But defensively, yeah, 2004, I mean, we felt like, all right, we understand this system. We have a, you know, a cyborg middle linebacker who totally changes the way you can try you know, to attack a, a Tampa two system. It changes the game for a lot of people. Now, if we can get some guys up front and I think drafting Tommy Harris, I think we drafted Tommy Harris, 2005, right? 2004. Oh, four. Okay. So yeah. he was there in 04. Okay. Well, I think Tommy and Tank both, I think. Yeah. The, and then trading for Adewale, maybe that was 2005. Either that kind of, hmm. that kind of, solidified you know you can't play that cover two unless you can get pressure with four guys like you just can't do it you don't have enough you know there's too much time for offenses to operate with the the space that is allowed in that cover two system but when you have four guys that can get after it like we had it changes the way teams can attack you and as we started to kind of grow into that we understood we can limit a lot of people you know if they want to move the ball it used to be a little bit frustrating because we wanted to shut teams down. We didn't want them to move the ball. We wanted to get them off the field. But, you know, Lovey was very patient. Let them move the ball. We don't really care about yards. All we care about is keeping them out of the end zone and turnovers. Like, that's it. 
keep them out of the end zone and win the turnover battle. And we're going to win football games. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So yeah, 2004, you know, we saw that we had some special pieces. Peanut started playing really well. Lance Briggs was like the best open field tackler in the NFL as like the check down cover two linebacker. So yeah, we all saw that we had a special unit kind of brewing as we, we just had that one kind of missing piece in that, that quarterback that Rex came in and filled in in 2006 and wish we could have sustained it a little bit, but uh, man, that was a, that was a fun kind of two year run that we had in 05 and 06. Do you have a, a favorite underrated moment from the Super Bowl year? Man. I mean, every, when I think back to that season, I always think about the Monday night game. You know, I, I can remember walking off the field and I think it was Justin Gage at the time. I mean, because we we were getting I mean, I don't even remember 17-0, 19-0, 20-3, something down multiple scores. We were riding so high going into that game, undefeated, like feeling good about ourselves and just laid an egg in the first half. And I remember walking off the field and Justin Gage was like, we're going to the Super Bowl. Like we're going to assume wow. this is the special team. Like there's no way we should have won that game. And then we go in and, and Mike Brown had gotten hurt that game. Um, so the TV was on and we actually watched live the Dennis green press conference, you know, the bears are who we thought mm-hmm. they were. We watched it, everybody in the locker room. So I know that's not like an under, you know, an undercover moment. Uh, everybody remembers that Monday night game. Cause it was just absolutely crazy. But, but I think that's, you know, we knew we were good. We were feeling really good about ourselves. But to pull something like that, two defensive touchdowns, Devin Hester taking a punt back, no way we should have won that game. That's when I think we were all like, all right, let's just keep riding this because we have something really, really special. Man, yeah, and to hear, like, your teammates and people say, like, this is this is our Super Bowl year. Like, if we're winning this game, you know, nothing's, nothing's stopping us. Um, one of our co-hosts who couldn't be with us tonight, Ryan Dangle, uh, last year he had Adrian Peterson on, um, and he talked a bit about – playing special teams, especially for when Devin Hester was coming out. And of course you did the same thing in 2006. So I want to ask you real quick. I mean, I I don't know if you have a good answer for it, but like, what was it like blocking and playing special teams when you knew you had Devin Hester coming up behind you, you know, having the ability to change a game at a moment's notice? Yeah, man. You just don't want to be the guy to not make a block and cost him a touchdown. Like that was that was it. It was like that with R.W. McCorders. It was like that with mm. Jerry Zuma, too. I mean, both uh, guys that could go the distance. Jerry was a Pro Bowl kick returner, uh, 2003 or four. So, yep. yeah. Like, but when Devin got there, it was just different. You did not want to be the guy. You really, you know, everybody on that special teams unit, we were so good and we played so hard. But you did not want to be the guy to cost – Devin a touchdown because you know every time he touched it he could take it you know regardless of where he was and you know where he was on the field where the defenders were it didn't really matter he could make guys miss he could outrun them it was I've never been around anybody as big as him as physical as as he is with the start and stop ability that he had it was I mean totally off the charts I'm curious, Cam, as you moved through the ranks, did you find that in terms of practice time, special teams were given 
more time or proper time. I, I coached a little bit in high school, played a little bit in college, and it always felt like we were struggling to get special teams in. Is that something that changes at the NFL level in a serious way or not? Yeah, I don't know what it's like anymore, honestly, because, you know, kickoffs are not as important as they were when I played, you know, the, the, with the, the starting line moved up and, you know, we used to get a head start <laughs> as right. long as we were off sides, we were good. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's very detailed in the NFL. You spend a lot of time, every, the first meeting every single day is a special teams meeting, you know, so it's, there's a lot of importance placed on it. I was lucky uh, playing for Pat Hill at Fresno State, John Baxter, who's, I mean, one of the better special teams coaches that existed, USC, Michigan. I mean, he's been all over the place. He, uh, he and Keith Armstrong, who was a longtime special teams coach in the NFL, who I played for in Miami, same same verbiage, same systems, you know. So I had one of the best teachers I could have had. It's really why I made the Bears as a rookie because I understood special teams concepts a lot better than a lot of rookies coming into the NFL did, even guys who played in the SEC or Big Ten or Pac-12 or whatever, because we had that that foundation. And then um, Sweat when I was a rookie, and then when Dave Tobe came in, I mean, you know, Dave Tobe is probably – the the best mix of system and allowing your players to just play as I've ever been around. Like he has an uncanny knack for just putting guys in the right places and giving them enough freedom to to allow their skill sets to make a difference. And I, it was so fun to play for him. And you saw what I mean, Devin's special. He was going to do that with anybody, but you know, you saw the places that he put Devin in the kind of you know, creative ways. He tried to get Devin the football with guys in front of him. He's I'm shocked, honestly, that he hasn't gotten an opportunity to lead an entire team in the NFL because he's a leader. He understands how to put guys in positions to have success. He's worked with an entire roster for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's a guy that I expect to continue to get opportunities. And I know eventually he's going to, he's going to hit one of those out of the park and become a head coach. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that's always a puzzling thing. Every coaching cycle when Dave Tobe like doesn't even get an interview. I'm like, have you seen what he's done for a decade plus? Like uh, it, it's unreal to me. Um, before we get into the current bears, I, I got to know, and this might be a painful subject, but you, you go from the 2006 bears and yes, it was, it was a tough ending with the Super Bowl. And for those, you, nobody can see it because it's a podcast, but you have your Super Bowl Jersey framed behind you, which I think is just awesome. Like yeah. that, that's such a cool thing. And um, obviously something to be very proud of, but you go to the dolphins the next year and it's one in 15. Like, I, I mean, what does that do for a player mentally after going from such a high, high to a season of so many lows? Like, how did you manage through that? Yeah, it was tough, man. <laughs> it, was, it was very tough. And, you know, I didn't want to leave Chicago. I had the opportunity to come back and, and continue my career as a bear. Um, I just, I didn't really feel like the cover two, you know, I was never going to be an every down safety playing in the cover two system. Cause I just didn't have enough range to do it. You know, and I understood mm -hmm. that about myself. I wanted to, um, I didn't want to retire without ever having started a game as an NFL safety. I just, I didn't, that was a goal that I had and Miami gave me an opportunity. I didn't go down there as a starter, but firmly entrenched backup playing on all the sub packages. Uh, and one guy went down and, you know, got my opportunity. 
but it was tough. Like the first week I was there, you know, we finished the season first week of February. Um, free agency started like three weeks later. I signed a week after it opened and I was in Miami in the, the middle of March. We had a new head coach, Cam Cameron, and I heard guys in March talking about their vacation plans the first week of January. Mm. And I was like, like, what are you talking about, man? It's like the playoffs. That's the playoffs. Why would you make vacation plans during the playoffs? So, you know, it was apparent kind of immediately like, okay, this is not the same situation that I left. And I was probably naive. I should, the bears were the only thing that I knew, you know, very professional. We, I mean, we had a nucleus of guys who we were there for, you know, at least my four years, there was a, a nucleus of guys who were together and we understood how to get work done and we wanted to win. And we were unselfishly working all year to give ourselves that opportunity. So to go down to Miami and hear that week one, it was tough, man. It was really tough. Fresno State, all, all we tried to do was win football games and we worked hard to do that. Chicago, same thing. So to go down there and not see that same kind of uh, standard uh, it was tough, you know, it was tough. And, and, you know, luckily Dom Capers was our defensive coordinator, got our defense. I mean, we had a really good, we were one of 15. We didn't, I mean, we were 0 and 13 at one point and we were facing like being the first 0 and 16 team in NFL history. It was before the lions did it, yeah. uh, which was miserable. Absolutely miserable. It's kind of like, you know, it's like a car crash every week. Like you show up on Monday and, it's miserable. It's a miserable existence. You put so much into a game. You get so, we had so many one score field goal loss games that it just, it really wore on you. Um, so it was, yeah, it was not fun at all. Um, you know, I guess the, the positive thing of, of that season for me was I did get the opportunity to start. Um, I, you know, I, I continued to develop as a, every down safety throughout that season. I was playing, I thought the best football I've ever played when I got hurt against my boy, Thomas Jones and the oh. Jets. Jets. Yeah. Um, but that's just, that's the way that's the game. You know, it's hard to stay healthy, especially when you're 195 pounds safety, you know, playing every down. Um, so I, I guess that Dolphins experience really makes me appreciate the Bears organization even more because you know, at least in the locker room, the standard doesn't really change. They don't reach it every single year. And there has been a lot of disappointment, you know, in the last 15 years or so. But, you know, I feel like that organization, here's the standard, man. This is how many world championships we've won. We're one of the founding organizations of the NFL. That's the standard. Meet the standard or you're not going to be here. And I feel like that mentality still exists in that locker room. I don't know if it exists everywhere in that building, but in that locker room, I feel like that mentality still existed. And when I left and didn't find that other places, I really appreciated that about Chicago even more. I was going to say, Cam, we had one question. We were going to ask who your uh, favorite teammate was, but I think you mentioned, I think you added it. It sounds like it's Todd Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just form a special bond with, we were position mates. We were in every meeting together. We played special teams. We were backup safeties. He had a really good 2004. I felt that was a little bit under-respected. I mean, he just played played solid, man. Didn't make mistakes. 
Frank Gore lit him up a couple of times, but Frank Gore was lighting a lot of people up at that time. You know, he had a solid 2004 and I kind of got a raw deal uh, towards the end of that season. But like I said, we were supposed to be cut every year. One of us weren't going to make it. You just, when you go through those types of things with people, you form, you know, special bonds. We're still super close friends to this day. Hunter Hillemeyer, Peanut, Tillman, those, that two kind of 2003 class, you know, Lance, Rex, like kind of all of us, we still stay in touch and, and, you know, our friends, I mean, Erlacher is probably my favorite teammate just because the, the dude's a first ballot hall of famer, superstar, and you would never know it. He's just a regular guy. Invite you over to his house. We play cards at his house all the time, play paintball in the off season. I mean, he was just a regular dude who cared about his teammates Made you live up to a standard for sure. No more of an intense player on the field as I've ever played with or against than Brian Erlacher. No doubt about it. But off the field, just fantastic individual, fantastic human being, and really fantastic teammate. Kim, as we take a look at the 2022 Bears and you think about what it is that you know about the Tampa 2, how do you think, if at all, it could help the, the current Bears secondary? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I don't really know, you know, what Robert Quinn is going to do, if he's going to be there, if he's not going to be there. I hope he's going to be there, you know. Um, He's probably a big key for that cover, too, this year because, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said earlier, if you have four guys that can get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quicker than he wants to get rid of it, it gives that cover, too, a really good chance to – put their eyes on the quarterback, break on the football, and and really limit offenses. If you can't do that, it's going to be really tough, especially with like how good receivers are, how accurate quarterbacks are in today's NFL. Like, if you have time against the cover two zone drop system, like you can get lit up very easily. So he's a big piece. But I, I think they have guys that can pressure the quarterback. Um, they have athletes. At the second level, Roquan Smith, probably, you know, one of the best athletes at that linebacker, inside linebacker position that exists in the NFL. So I think they have some pieces to have success. Shouldn't be too complex. I mean, it's it's really a, a, a fairly simple system to pick up. You make teams beat what you do instead of trying to take away the things that they do, you know. And, and I feel like they have some young guys in the secondary this – system can cover up that that youth a little bit at times Mm -hmm. if that front four gets pressure I mean that's probably the number one key for this defense to have success in 2022 they have to get after the quarterback with four guys I'm going to try to ask you a really simple question but I don't think there's a simple answer why has Eddie Jackson struggled so much at the free safety position over the last few years yeah, I don't think there's a simple answer for that one either. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, he signed a big contract, and sometimes, you know, the the chip that you play with when you aren't a high paid player, but you feel like you should be, is not the same chip that you play with when you are a high paid player and you can relax and you don't have to grind every day and you've gotten respect and you've gotten paid. And I don't know if that's all of it, you know, but like football is hard, man. You have to sacrifice your body a lot. And 
you sacrifice your body to continue to be a part of the NFL. And, and, you know, I think sometimes guys can relax a little bit, you know, they can not play to their physical capabilities at times. And maybe Eddie Jackson is doing that. Maybe, you know, he has some interests outside of football that has taken away his focus a little bit. I mean, he's an Alabama guy, you know, you don't get through Nick Saban's, Mm -hmm system without understanding how to to play football and how to play football at a very high level. And I feel like, you know, some of those small details that Nick Saban teaches you that good players do in the NFL, Eddie Jackson just hasn't really taken care of those little details the last couple of seasons, bad angles, not using proper technique when he's making open field tackles, getting his eyes in the wrong place. I mean, all very little things that, at that level, you know, you make those mistakes. They're very, very costly. I feel like he's, you know, hasn't quite played as sharp, as hungry, you know, as he as he had early in his career. I know he got a little hurt, got banged up. That can change your mindset a little bit too. You know, it's hard when you suffer some injuries and maybe you've never suffered through that in your football life up to that point. It can kind of change guys' mentality, you know, but I think if I had to sum it up, you know, as simply as possible, I think he just has not executed the small details of being a Pro Bowl caliber safety over the last couple of seasons. And I've always been curious, Cam, with uh, someone like Eddie Jackson, who has the pedigree and is clearly capable, he has the athleticism. Where does accountability come in? Like, if you've got a staff that maybe is in disarray, like we've seen the last couple of years in Chicago, does that trickle down to somebody like Eddie Jackson? Like, I always wonder, like, to what extent it's on the player, and to what extent it, it is on his coach, you know, on his coaches to hold him accountable. Yeah, I mean, I I guarantee he was held accountable for the mistakes that he made. You know, at least you know behind closed doors in the meeting room. Like, the one thing that I probably missed the most about the NFL is, you know, you make a mistake, like you're going to talk about that mistake the very next day and you're going to figure out how to address that mistake and try to not make that mistake again. It's something that I yearned for in the business world, just people being held accountable for the things that they're not doing well and taking responsibility for those, you know, like that doesn't exist everywhere outside of the NFL. No, it does not. (laughs) So, you know, I know Eddie Jackson is, has been held accountable by his, his coaches. You know, you just, there's a, there's a level of play that you have to play at in that league. If you're making a lot of money, you have a lot more mistakes that you can make and still stay on the field. And that's, I think, you know, what Eddie Jackson has, has been, you have to play him. He's making too much money. You have to, he has to be a part of that defense. Um, So I'm sure he's been held accountable behind closed doors. It's tough sometimes when you don't fully believe in, I mean, we had guys on that Dolphins team, your standard on defense is we had to play near perfect defense to even give ourselves a chance to win a football game. And when, you know, that 2014 was a little bit like that, sometimes it wears on guys. Some guys can handle it and embrace it. And some guys just, you know, can't, I'm, I'm not saying Eddie Jackson is one of those guys, but you know, it's tough when you have to hold yourself to that standard and don't feel like this isn't really a team thing. It's us having to, kind of play both sides of the ball and play at such a high level that our offense can score, you know, some points to win. It it can grind on a lot of people. And, you know, Alabama, they don't suffer through that. 
early in his career, you know, it wasn't necessarily like that. The last couple of years have, have been kind of like that. When you look at this year's secondary, is there anybody specifically that you, you have your, your eye on? And if so, why? I mean, Jalen Johnson is my guy. He's a Fresno guy. You know, I've, I've seen him since he was a junior high kid. His, his brother, Johnny Johnson, went to UCLA and ended up finishing his last year at Fresno State. So I worked with him a little bit after his career. They they do they give back a lot in the in the Fresno area. Um, um, Central High School is a powerhouse football program here in Fresno. So, yeah, Jalen Johnson is my guy. When he went to Utah, I followed him. When the Bears drafted him, I thought it was a perfect fit you know like i said the central valley is a little bit overlooked and underrated but you have to be physical and tough to to be a, a player here there's tough physical football man it's you know there's a little midwestern feel to to fresno and guys get after it it's it's a it's a special place to watch uh kids develop and Jalen, you can tell he walked into the nfl and he's like i'm gonna lock up the best receiver and i don't care and that's it takes a special guy to have that type of confidence and you know he backed a lot of that up so you know year two is usually the year that you're just comfortable um you know you you kind of take that i guess this is year three for Jalen johnson right dang it's already year three for him <laughs> Man, I just thought, wait, he was he was a 2020 guy, right? That COVID year is just, you know, that's that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, they need someone to be that guy, you know. And I think Jalen Johnson can be that guy. It's hard to be a number one cornerback in the NFL. It's really hard. You have to cover. Luckily, no longer Devontae Adams twice a season, but you have to cover very talented guys. And I think Jalen Johnson can just kind of be that, you know that guy like peanut Tillman was for us peanut wasn't always going to follow everybody, you know, but he was going to do damage when he was lined up across from somebody. And if you wanted to move your guy around, that was on you. You knew where peanut was going to be. And he was so physical in that cover two system. You know, he just, he set the tone outside. And I feel like Jalen Johnson has that same kind of physical mentality where he's trying to take the fight to people. And that's, you know, that's kind of rare, uh, as a cornerback. And I think, you know, Jaquan Brisker, who, right, was their second rounder this year. Yep. Safety. He fits right in. You know, I think he fits right in. He's going to, he plays with a physical mindset. He's a physical player. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see them. This whole season, you know, it's, can Justin Fields develop into the guy we think Justin Fields can be? You know, I know Bears fans don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. I don't, you know, I'm not expecting a playoff run out of this mm -hmm. team. Hopefully they, you know, hopefully they play well. I think they're going to be competitive. I think Everfoo will have them playing really hard with great effort, great fundamental technique. You know, they'll do the little things to put themselves in position to win games. But this season is about what I think is a special, special quarterback developing into the leader of an organization and then 2023 when all the salary cap is available and you have pieces in place now I, I think you kind of break the bank and put everything around Justin Fields you possibly can to make a true Super Bowl run you know I think that's what 2022 is about developing your guys on defense understanding a system and then let's get Justin Fields ready to make a Super Bowl run in 2023. I'm, see, I'm so glad you agree because I think a lot of us feel that way. Like this is a developmental year. See what you got, kind of mold the clay a little bit, and then 
where you realize your weak spots are, go into next year, spend, and really take that run in 2023 and beyond. So it's really, really good to hear, you know, somebody of your caliber, you know, agree with that statement. I know it's hard for fans and I get it for sure. You want to win every year, you know, but, you know, sometimes, and that's, you know, I'm not a fan really. I love the bears. I'm, will be eternally grateful for the opportunity that the bears presented to me as an undrafted kid out of Fresno state, no doubt about it. But, you know, it's easy for me to look at this. Like I can kind of see what's going on. That's what I would do if I had Justin Fields, I think he can be special. He showed some flashes in that Pittsburgh game. Like you just watch that Pittsburgh game. Okay. This is what Justin Fields can be. Let's build around this dude. Cause he's a lot different than every other quarterback that the bears have had for a long, long time. So let's see what he's really about. And we're trying to win games. Of course, we're trying to win, win games, but we feel like you want a Super Bowl. It's been how long? 1986, 1985, 86, since we won a Super Bowl. You want a Super Bowl. This is what it's going to take to get to a Super Bowl. And unfortunately, sometimes you just kind of have to sacrifice, you know, a developmental season. I wish he would have got some time last year, you know, more. I'm not sure how much he would have developed. I really like everything that they have in place for him to take a step forward this year and and figure out if he's a guy. I believe he is. I think he's going to take that big step and kind of give the Bears, you know, exactly what the game plan should be going into next season. Cam, we just have a couple questions for you, and uh, we're really, really thankful for the time you've given us. Um, One of the... I guess first tweets I saw from you, like obviously I remember you as a player, but I think the first time I saw you on Twitter was you talking about Soldier Field and the turf and basically just, you know, as many people know, the turf at Soldier Field isn't great. And uh, you basically had a tweet that said, as long as the Bears play at Soldier Field, they will never have a top offense. And I I, I loved that. And uh, I'm just going to give you a, a minute to go off here uh, because obviously you played on it. Uh from a player's perspective, why should the bears move out of soldier field and into a new stadium in Arlington Heights? Yeah. It kind of breaks my heart, but you know, it's just, you saw what Jerry Jones did down in, in Frisco and move up to Arlington Heights, build a compound around a new stadium. Even, even if they stay at soldier field, you know, there's just that, that turf is so slow and you see you know, precision offense is operating today in today's NFL. And when you're not operating at the same speed, I think it just affects you from an offensive standpoint. You know, it was an advantage for us, no doubt. The Saints came up for that NFC championship game and they had a precision offense, a timing offense, and they they were lost, you know, because that field is soft and it moves and it's slow. But like you have a four, three dude at quarterback now, you know, (laughs) the the NFL has changed. It's just, it's changed. You still need defense to win championships. Obviously, you know, that's never going to change, but the way quarterbacks can attack defenses, the type of athletes that are playing that position. Now, the type of athletes that are playing receiver, like there are so many uh, abilities that are prevalent in today's game that weren't necessarily back in even 2006. And I feel like when you have a, a turf that doesn't accentuate those skill sets, you're going to be playing slower than everybody else. And sometimes it looks like the Bears offense is just playing a little bit slower than everybody else. And that can be a detriment when you go to these fast surfaces 
where teams practice every single week on a surface like that. They're a little bit crisper. They understand how it plays. And I feel like it's just an advantage for teams that do play on surfaces that are a little bit quicker. The the Rams are, are a great example of, you know, they play great on fast, firm, synthetic turf. You know, you can't grow fast, firm grass in Chicago. Unfortunately, it just doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like it's a disadvantage today in today's NFL for the Chicago Bears. Real quickly, just because it's a it's a conversation that also comes up about Soldier Field. Is bear weather a myth or is it real? No, nah, it's real, man. I saw Michael Vick. Sunday night football, 2005, third down and like six. Mike Vick takes a snap, drops, drops back, scrambles like through the middle, and Erlacher whacks him. It was like four degrees. The wind chill was like negative yeah. seven. Michael Vick was done for the night. Like he wanted to pack it up and go back to Atlanta. He's blowing in his hands before he takes the snap. Like we we washed him that game. It was a complete route. So yeah, it's it's real. It's totally different. You know, it's totally different. You know, 2004, the Texans came up, the coldest game I ever played, and it was like three degrees, and they beat the crap out of us. So maybe I'm making too much, but I watched Michael Vick shut down because of the elements. So I have to say that Bears weather is – Bear weather is real. I will say I was a a 14-year-old kid. That was one of the first – actually, I think the third game I ever went to, and it's by far my favorite. I was so flipping cold. But the the atmosphere, it was a playoff type atmosphere. The the roar that Grossman got when he came into the game was unreal. Like that's I will say, I I do wish they would go to a dome or a retractable roof, but some of those cold games were really cool. They, I, they, they probably will. I mean, I can't they want to host the Super Bowl, I'm sure, if they move to Arlington Heights. The only way you can do that is if you have a dome. So oh man, I'd be really shocked. Maybe a retractable roof. I'd be really shocked if they didn't have the ability to enclose the stadium if or when, I guess it's kind of when mm-hmm. they move to Arlington Heights. It seems like both the, the grass and if bare weather is a thing, as you say, still supports your theory about going to turf for an offense. I mean, because both of those, you know, things, those factors seem to highly benefit the defense, which is great. Bears D, that's part of our tradition. But I think we are all way past ready to see a high-flying offense on a Sunday. We get tired of watching other teams do it, and it looks like the Bears are, are not even playing in the same league sometimes offensively. So, Yeah, it looked like, unfortunately, the last couple of years looked like that quite a bit. And last year was so frustrating to watch this, you know, Ferrari operate a Ford F-150 type offense. It was just, you know, so pedestrian when you had a guy with such a electric skill set as, as Justin Fields possesses. Kim, do you have any unpopular football opinions? Everybody else kind of flows in this way, but you're like, you know what? No, I'm not with you on that. Unpopular football opinions. Could be on anything. Broadcasters. Play on the field, offenses, uh, stadiums, I mean, anything. I'm, I'm probably the biggest Chris Collinsworth hater there is, but I don't know if that's necessarily contrary <laughs> or not. Like, I feel like there's a contingent of You're people. You're in a long line of people. Okay. I think, okay. That one. <laughs> yeah. Can't stand him. I like Romo. I like the energy Romo brings to the game. He makes it fun. Um, 
you know, I know he can bug people. He bugs me a little bit. He's kind of a dork, but you know, he does, he does bring energy. Um, nah, how about I, the physicality changes? How do you, how do you feel about some of the rules that are more protective of the quarterback? And do you, do you, how are you feeling on that with the physicality? Yeah. But everybody hates those quarterback rules, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get it for sure. You know, the quarterback is the star. You want to protect them. They're defenseless. They really are defenseless in the pocket. So you you need to have rules to protect them, especially, you know, I the most glaring example is that Jim McMahon hit, I think, against the Packers, right? Back in the old yes. hard AstroTurf where he just got suplexed Terrible. on his head, you know. Like that that can't exist. That should not exist in any sport. So you you have to have rules to protect the quarterback. I totally get it. I'm on board with it. And I struggled, you know, that was right kind of post my career where the NFL was really starting to clamp down and like, look, you have no idea how difficult it is to make a tackle in the open field against a receiver diving for a football when you're trying to, you know, just make contact or the receiver, like it's impossible to avoid head to head contact. So I was really upset for a long time about those rules you know, now it's just like it's ta- it's been taken out of the game, and I think the game is better for it. Guys, you know, I I know guys that, that I played with that are struggling cognitively, and that's scary, man. You know, it's it's scary. It's less scary for us than it was twenty years. You know, guys who played twenty years before us, but you know, it does still exist. So it was tough. It was a tough transition. I love physical football. Um, you know, but probably something that I I wish it, I wish those types of actions were more prevalent in the youth, you know, leagues across the country. I feel like those are such unsafe. I guess that maybe my number one contrarian football opinion. If I had a son, he would not play tackle football till he was at least in junior high, at least maybe high school. You know, I didn't play football till I was in eighth grade only played two years of high school, you know, if you're an athlete, you're an athlete, you can pick it up, play flag football, you know, you can learn the skills, but man, just that developing brain taking, you know, helmet after helmet after helmet, repetitive head trauma. It's, you know, the research is, is, is clear that it does have an effect and I would probably avoid that effect with my son. Luckily I have two daughters who, I don't have to make that decision. They don't want to play football, never wanted to play football. So it's been easy. It's easy for me to say that it might be different if I had a 12 year old son who wanted to play football, but man, the risks, I, I feel like don't outweigh the reward at that age. Mm-hmm. Cam, if, if people aren't following you, where can they find you and your football opinions as we get ready for football season? Yeah, man, I'm on Twitter at just at Cam Worrell. Um, I have an Instagram account. I think it's Camel also, but I don't use it too much. I mean, I'll post some golf stuff or some family stuff on there once in a while. But yeah, Twitter, football season. I'm on Twitter pretty much every Sunday, you know, dropping whatever I think about whatever I'm watching. You know, it's I love it engaging yeah. with, especially Bears fans, man. Bears fans are awesome on Twitter. You know, they just like to have conversations. They'll tell you if you're full of it, <laughs> you know, they won't, they won't hold back, but you know, it's fun. It is fun to, to have conversations. And I feel like, you know, I don't take it too seriously. And sometimes, you know, I just want to kind of educate people because I've been there and I understand it, you know, at a different level. And, um, 
you know, people like to like to follow that. So, you know, if you like Bears football and you like opinions about Bears football, you'll probably enjoy my Twitter on Sunday during the during the NFL season and outside of that, not very active. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good though. Uh, Cam, this, uh, this was such a pleasure, man. Um, as somebody who really grew up and started to love football with those like early to mid two thousands bears teams, uh, talking with you and hearing stories about those teams was such a treat. So, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us and, uh, just hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. Yeah, of course, man. I, oh, man, I, I really love talking bears football. Like I said, the bears, Hold a special place in my heart. Always will. I'll I'll be you know a Bears Chicago Bears fan lover for the rest of my life. So I love the Bears fans out there. They're always supportive. They were all over the country, California. I still get like I still get letters and people want me to send them signed things. It's crazy. I haven't played in so long. I was a backup special teams player, but. Bears fans love Bears football, and it's it's truly been such a fantastic you know time interacting with Bears fans and and you know getting to come on podcasts and talk about Bears football. I truly appreciate it, man. This was a blast. I, I love talking Bears football, so appreciate it. Anytime, Thanks, man. You, yeah, Thank you're man. you're absolutely welcome back. So we appreciate it. All right, boys, phenomenal stuff. Hope you liked it. Uh, for all of you that are listening, we really appreciate it. Uh, instead of getting Jack's questions, this has been kind of a longer episode, and so we will get to another Jack's question in another upcoming episode. And so it is time to get out of here, boys. Time to give shout-outs. So for shout-outs this week, let's go. Sheldon, Brendan, Logan, Jack, and I will finish it up. So shout-out to the uh, Conan Gray fans on Twitter, which – are apparently uh, numerous because um, they, they they blew up my Twitter telling me what a fantastic singer he is, despite the fact that A, the national anthem's apparently not his song, and B, the organist uh, threw him off. So sorry, apologies to the Conan Gray fans. I, I didn't know music was his kryptonite, and uh, so maybe I'll, I'll have to give his stuff a listen, but uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, but go get some sunlight, get out of your basement and, uh, do some pushups. I just got two shout outs today. One of them goes to my good buddy, Michael Eddy. He just got married this weekend. He's a bears fan living in Minneapolis. That's really tough. Cool. Not only cause the weather sucks, but he has to deal with those loudmouth Viking fans who think they have a, an elite quarterback quarterback in their team. And that's just, that's wrong. But shout out to him. I'm really happy for him and his new wife. And hopefully they get to cheer on a good Bears team this year. My last shout out, it's a it actually goes to a business. And they're not on Twitter, unfortunately. But uh, it's the Uprising Bakery in Lake in the Hills. And they've kind of made some national news over the last few days because as a fundraising opportunity, they had planned to hold a drag, um, a drag show at their at their bakery. And they were basically saying it's a family event. Like we want all people to come. It's a, it's a great opportunity and it's going to support the bakery. Unfortunately, in the weeks leading up to it, they had a lot of harassments, vandalism, even the day of the event from people, not even from the town. And so they unfortunately had to cancel. And I, I think that's just so sad because this is a business that's really trying to do something good for the community. They're trying to have a place of acceptance for all types of people. And the fact that people just would not let them have that and tried to hate on them 
and really unfortunately succeeded in canceling the, the event is just wrong. But the support for the business has been so it's been incredible. And they, they literally had lines out the door today. So they were supposed to have it last night on Saturday. Today, people were lining up, just wanting to give their support. So if you're in the Chicago, like Northwest suburbs area, consider checking them out. Uh, I think what they're doing is great. They're really right down the road for me. I'm planning on going this week to get some stuff. So shout out to them. And hopefully they can do something in the near future where, again, all types of people are more than welcome because hate, hate like that just should not happen. My, my shout out goes to Christian Corfist on Twitter, who today posted three videos of Darnell Mooney, David Montgomery and Daz Newsom running in a straight line. And I just know that did big things for a lot of Bears fans who are absolutely starved for content and something to like either get mad about or care about in some way. So shout out to him for uh, for some for posting some videos of some athletic dudes running fast. You just have no idea how bad some guy in his basement needed that today. Shout outs to uh, Brendan and Alyssa for crushing the 30 most important bears of 2022 series of articles. It's been really, really fantastic to follow along on that. Love it. Uh, shout out to the American League uh, for winning the All-Star game since 2013. Yeah. That's our league. That's right. Mm-hmm. Shells, right. Cool. We'll come together on that. We can agree on that, right? Are, are you guys right? uh, still in the MLB? Good. I didn't Apparently, know. Uh, big man over it's here. Cute that they big show up every year. The, the National League. In the castle. La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then a tough one. My, my family got some tough news. My brother in law is going to be in a, for a battle um, against cancer. So uh, shout out to the Sunbergs and the whole family. Thank you, Jack. In the fear of uh, getting emotional response, uh, I have a shout out for two people and two people only. Uh, Logan Bradley is the first one. Logan has just been unbelievable in all that he's done, moving out his entire life out to the West Coast. Um, and just, he's just absolutely crushing it out there. And I just, uh, he is, he is one of my dearest friends. And I just am, am thrilled to see him living out his dream out that way. And I know it has to be tough out there, buddy. Um, but just know that uh, they're just, we're just so damn proud of you and uh, lots of love over here. The other one goes to my good friend, Jack Wright, who has been a very good friend of mine for, God, Jack, I don't know what, 10 plus years. And uh, just want you to know, buddy, that you are so very much in my thoughts and your family is very much in my thoughts. And I know that all the guys feel the exact same way. And uh, there are a lot of other people we could be shouting out on this podcast, but uh, but gentlemen, we just, we, we love you guys. And uh, we just, we want you to know that uh, that's how we feel. Appreciate you guys. Hell love yeah. you, Dangle. Folks, there are, I I think think there's like 10 more Bears podcasts that just started this week. And uh, we are still seeing so much positivity coming out. We have some new listeners that have been interacting with us, leaving uh, great reviews online and just shouting messages to us, either through DMs or retweeting our stuff, um, you know, sending text messages. And it is a bit overwhelming. And I just want to say thank you. I know all of the guys on the podcast feel the exact same way that uh, we love doing this and the fact that other people are enjoying 
enjoying it just means so very much to us. So thank you so very much for doing that. If you could, please hit like, hit subscribe, share it with a friend. You guys know the drill, whatever you possibly can to share this content. And as you heard in this episode, this was like 98% Bears content related, which is exactly what it will be as Bears season starts to get closer and closer. Off season, we like to talk about food. It's, it's just what we do. For all of us here at the Bear Down Chicago podcast, I am Ryan Dangle. For Jack Wright, Logan Bradley, Patrick Sheldon, and Brennan Chagru, thank you so much for listening, folks. And as always, Bear Down Chicago. Chicago.